Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. Welcome to We Go There. Nikki and I have wanted to do this episode since we decided we are going to start a podcast called We Go There. And it is all around poop. And Nikki's Instagram has been blowing up her DMs with questions around poop. She put this out there. So we are pleased to welcome the one and only Dr. Dina Kulik to chat with us all about poop. So not only is she a mother, pediatrician, pediatric emergency medicine physician in Toronto, but she runs a boss of a business. Like we're talking kid crew, um, amazing, amazing clinic for kids um, and uh, is a leading child health media expert, providing information to parents and public through her two new books, one being right here, Scoop on Poop, which we're going to dive right into television, radio, print media, and of course, check out her blog. Um, But doing all of this, she also is chasing around four active and very happy boys. So welcome to We Go There. Thanks for having me. You're a rock star. Yeah, seriously. Total rock star. You guys are also rock stars. I feel like I'm a very good woman, entrepreneurship, you know, sit down. Very, very nice to see you guys. You too. Thank you for making the time and your crazy, like very, very jam-packed schedule. So I feel like we're going to do rapid fire. How do you feel about that? It's what I do. (laughs) You're kidding, right? Okay. Constipation. And I feel like this episode might be about both children and adults. I'll be honest. Most of the questions I got were for adults, like for the women who have been like, I want to talk about my poop problems, not my kids' poop problems. So hopefully we can talk about both. But um, okay. So how do you even define constipation? So constipation is super duper common. It's why I wrote a book about it. Literally, I spend a good part of my day in the office and also in the emerge talking about poo and constipation because some people get so sick and so terribly uncomfortable that they end up in the eMERGE thinking they have appendicitis. Like that's how common this thing is. It's probably about a third or a quarter of my day every day. And it's common in kids and it's very common in adults. And a lot of kids have it and there might even be some kind of genetic piece to it when, you know, parents often tell me, oh yeah, I took those same ideas you taught me about my kid and I implemented those and guess what? I feel better too, right? So what constipation means, it's not just about frequency. I think a lot of people think, that if you poo every day, you can't possibly be constipated. But that isn't the case. It's mostly about the consistency of poo. So you can poo every day, but if the poo is hard, if it's hard to push out, if it's painful on your bum or your belly, if you have belly pain, if you have bleeding from your rectum, um, that could be drops of blood, that could be wiping with blood, that could be blood mixed or on top of the poo, Um, Or if you're having really big poos, you know, parents often tell me their kids have, you know, quote unquote, adult size poos or the opposite end of the spectrum, which is more like pellets or, you know, rabbit poos, parents tell me. 
either one of those spectrum is not normal. What we want is at least once daily, ideally more than once daily, soft, easy to push out. It shouldn't hurt. There shouldn't be any struggling. There shouldn't be any discomfort. And, you know, the, the dogma I use, the kind of the visualization I use is let's say your child, you know, if your child is young enough to be in a diaper, then you can use this visual. But even if you're an adult, you can use the same visual. Let's say you have a two-year-old and they poo in a diaper and you take the diaper and you turn it upside down. If the poo falls out of the diaper, it's too hard. It's not meant to be that hard. It should be mushy enough to stick to the diaper. So obviously we're mostly not pooing in diapers as adults or as bigger kids, but that visual is good, right? So in the toilet, you're going to see a log. You should see a log, but you can imagine that that log would be mushy enough, soft enough that it would stick to a diaper. It should take less than two minutes to poo. There's a lot of kids and adults out there that are sitting for long periods of time. They're struggling, they're pushing, and yeah, they may poo every day, but it's much harder or more difficult to get out than it should be. So, you know, my dogma is at least once a day, easy to push out, mushy like peanut butter, no pain, no belly pain, no blood. Amazing. We're just like, okay, next question. There's so much amazing information here. Like, oh my gosh, I love this rapid fire. This is the diaper tip is awesome. Okay, I'm yeah, gonna it's run. Easy, it's easy to visualize. I love the totally. visual. You know, it's, it's like, so yeah. Would exactly. I be able to? Would this fall out of my to- out of my diaper? Yeah, it would. Too hard. Yeah. Okay. So what, what are your hot tips? We've all heard like, okay, like drink water, fiber. I had a neurogynecologist friend of mine say she tells her patients with prolapse because the big, there's a causal like issue with straining on the toilet and then prolapse. She's like, you need to have 30 grams of fiber a day. So like what, what do you suggest as it relates to preventing constipation for both kids and adults? Yeah. And you're, I'd want to mention about prolapse. Some kids have prolapse too. What prolapse is, for anyone who doesn't know, is your rectum, what's supposed to be inside of you, your intestines comes out. So when you look at someone's rectum, it's meant to be a dimple, right? It's meant to go inside your body, like your nose really. But a prolapse means that the inside of it is coming outside of it. And that often happens most commonly post childbirth, you know, lots of weight on the belly, pushing things down, maybe, you know, complicated deliveries, those kind of things. Or as we get older, everything kind of falls a little bit and the rectum can kind of fall out as well. But some children and adults with chronic constipation develop prolapse as well because they're constantly straining and pushing. And there's lots of weight on that pelvic floor, pushing things down. So some kids we see with rectal prolapse as well, and it scares the, you know, the bejesus out of parents because they literally see this red thing outside of the body that they're we're not meant to see it is meant to be inside the body. But yes, for sure, increasing fiber and water is helpful. But by the time parents start asking me questions about constipation, they usually far past the increased fiber, increased water spot. Because what happens, it's actually much like pregnancy. So your intestine is made of smooth muscle. That's the same muscle as makes up your uterus. So if you picture a woman grows nine or 10 months, their uterus you know, stretches out when we have a baby, when we get pregnant, and then we have a baby and the uterus goes back, but it will never be the same. It's like a stretched out rubber balloon. So if we do an ultrasound on someone who's had a baby uh, a month ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago, we'll be able to see, radiologists can see that they've that person's had a baby before because the uterus will never go back to exactly the same position. It's all stretched out like a balloon. And the same thing happens to the intestine. So if you have more poop and more poop and more poop going in there, not coming out daily, it's almost like picturing a bunch of trains getting stuck on a track. You know, there's a the train that's stuck and you have trains bumping and bumping and bumping into it, but not emptying, not coming out of the, of the track. So you have 
you know, expansion of the rectum. And that expansion is like that boggy uterus. What happens when you have this stretched out boggy rectum, this big stretched out rubber band or big stretched out balloon is the nerve endings at the end of it start getting all wonky also. So many kids, they may not have pooed for two, three, four or five days. And parents are like, just go poo. I know you have to poo. You haven't pooed in so many days. And the child reasonably says, I don't have to poo. I don't feel like I have to poo. And that's legit for some kids because those muscles, because those nerves are all stretched out and messed up. So just increasing the fiber in the water can help if it's really early stages and it's good for everybody anyway to get at least those 30 grams of fiber. But I don't count the amount of fiber my kids eat. I don't count the amount of fiber I eat. Really just eating a nutritious kind of balanced diet is the way to go. Certainly increasing bulky um, soluble fibers in the diet can be helpful. But once you're at a point where you're not pooing every day or it's hard or it's these huge volumes or the rabbit poos or kids have belly pain or blood, then increasing the fiber is not going to do much. That's when we need to do something to get things going to really soften up the poo. And so the biggest strategy for that, and this is the same across the world, every gastrointestinal society in the world recommends something called PEG, P-E-G. Brands uh, include Restorlax or Laxaday. And what these do is they act like a sponge. They bring water into the poo. So they don't cause the intestine to squish along. So they don't cause cramping or gassiness the way other um, laxatives will. So Senecot for one would do that or other laxatives. They cause your intestines to squish along more hard. And that can help. There's a role for that in some ways, but that's not what we really want. What we really want is to make the poo softer and bulkier and wetter so they're easier to pass. And then once the child is having daily, at least once a day, soft poos, as we described, then you can gradually decrease the amount of that you use. And ideally, their intestines are now working better again. Those nerve endings are coming better again. There's less stretched balloon to the rectum again. But once you have constipation, you're most likely to get it again. So it's not a one-time fix and done. It's likely going to kind of rear its head again. And so you just manage it as you need. You know, I picture it like a wave, you know, it's worse and then it's better and then it's worse and it's better. So you kind of just manage it as you, as you can, as you go and getting a handle of it early is really important. Once a child's gone several days without pooing or sometimes several weeks or several months with infrequent or hard poos, it will take that much longer to get them on track, sort of like pregnancy, right? You're pregnant for a long time. It's going to take a number of months to get, you know, your intestine uh, back, just like your uterus will take some time to shrink down as well. So what stage does it cause concern? Like at what stage should you be bringing your kid in or for yourself, like raising kind of the concern with your doctor? I think if your child is in any way struggling to poo or they're fearful of pooing, because of course, if you're having hard poos or infrequent poos, it feeds into itself, right? If a child goes and sits and has a poo that's painful, they're going to hold their poo because they don't want to feel that discomfort again. And then of course, they're holding it longer. The rectum absorbs water. So the more the poo is sitting in that intestine, the more dry it gets, the more hard it gets. And the child's still eating, so it's getting bigger and bigger. Then they have a poo, it hurts more, so they hold it longer. So it becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy where the child first starts holding it because it hurts, voluntary. Then it becomes a habit. And then it eventually becomes involuntary because of the reasons I mentioned about the nerves. So it does take some undoing. And as I mentioned, it's not a quick fix. Some parents will think, well, you know, I gave a suppository or I gave an enema and they pooed. Yay, we're done. That is never the case ever because that intestine has learned to accommodate more and more poo. 
So it is a relearning process for the intestine. So if your child is uncomfortable, if there's blood, if they're having belly pain, if they're fearful of pooing, if you're having trouble toilet training your child, these are all reasons for sure to discuss with your doctor. So how much, what's the dose? So I'm hearing like one of the ways to combat this is Restorelax, which is what we call it. I think it's Miralax in the U.S. or something like that. Yeah, there's a whole um, bunch of, Laxaday, right. there's many brands. Okay. Yeah, PEG okay. is the trade name, P-E-G. Oh, I see. Okay, good. Yeah. So what's the, what, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the dose would be different. Is Does it say on the bottle? Like depending on how, how early can you even start to give this to children? You can give it as early as six months of age. Ideally, we're doing other things before it becomes a big issue at six months. But actually starting solid food is a very common trigger for constipation, as is toilet training. Those are the two biggest times. With toilet training, we're telling our child, hold your pee, hold your poo. That's what training is. And so they do that as they're meant to. And then, of course, sometimes that can lead to constipation because that poo sits in the rectum, gets drier, gets harder. When we start solids, a very common way that people start solid food for babies is by starting with cereals, which I strongly recommend against because cereals are, they're not real food, right? It's just, you know, fake food, but they're very low in fiber typically. So a lot, a lot of kids will get constipated at that time. And that's just not a great way to start solids, which is why I like to start with fruits or veg for babies. So you're teaching their intestine enough fiber, enough water, et cetera. So yes, the dose for PEG varies based on age. I do go through it um, on my website. Actually, I have a handout that people can download as well. Um, and in the book, I have specifics about how much. But the management strategy is start is first starting with what we call a clean out. You picture like you're going for a colonoscopy. Some adults have experienced that. You want to clear everything out. You want to take a bunch more of this medicine to bring more water into the poo to get rid of everything. And then we're kind of starting with a clean slate. But you don't want to just do a clean out, have the child poo for a few days, and then stop the medicine. Because as I mentioned, it'll go right back to being constipated. So you do this clean out phase with a higher dose of Restorelax or PEG, and then you slowly, slowly, slowly wean down. So as an example, you know, a typical two or three-year-old that's toilet training that gets constipated, what we often suggest is one cap of the medicine, which is 17 grams. The goal is very, very soft poo at least twice a day. It could be even diarrhea. That's cool. That's great. I recommend that for three to five days. Some children need two caps, even three caps of that at once to really clean them out. Once they're really cleaned out, again, going at least once a day, ideally more, very, very wet, no more pain, easy to poo, then you decrease it by only half a teaspoon a week. So one cap of the medicine is four teaspoons. So, and I go through this very much in detail on, on the website and in the book, but let's say you're doing four teaspoons, one cap for the clean out. You do that for three to five days, your child's pooing wet every day, no more pain. The next week, you don't stop the medicine, you go down to three and a half teaspoon, one half teaspoon less. You do that for the next five or seven days. If the child is still pooing at least once a day, soft, easy to push out, no pain, then the next week you go down to three teaspoon a day for the week. And you do it like that. Many kids, they'll stop going every day or it'll start getting hard again or their belly pain will come back again. So then you bump it up to the previous stage you're at. So you might be on four, three and a half, three, three and a half, four, three and a half, three, and you just play with it. You know, I just picture like, you know, an up and down wave because again, it's not a quick fix. And if families give the medicine and their child is quote unquote, no longer constipated because they pooed for a few days, if you stop the medicine, 100% of those kids will get backed up again. So the two most common issues are not giving enough for clean out. You know, I have families that tell me I gave a teaspoon of, of the peg. It didn't work. 
Yeah, because I won't work on anybody. That's not not really a dose. It's like a flake of it. It's not that great. It's not that much. It's not enough for a clean out for anybody, even the smallest of babies. So you need to give enough as a clean out and you need to wean off slowly. And that can take months. On average, it takes four to five months to completely come off the medicine. And most kids will have bumps in the road again. It's just the way it goes. You have that stretched out bowel. So the earlier you get a handle of it, the less it like goes on and on and on, the much easier it is to come off of it uh, more quickly. My mind is like blown right now. That's yeah, it's not a quick fix. That's the most common thing I see. I talked to many, many, many families in the Emerge and, and in the office that say, well, I did it and they were pooing and now they're not anymore. And I'm like, I know, because mm. here's the natural history of constipation. And I want to reassure families. A lot of parents don't want to give kids medicine. I totally understand that. You know, I'm super holistic that way. We, we like to avoid medicine for sure. But all this medicine does, it's completely inert. All it does is bring water into the poo. The body does not absorb it. It doesn't cause any medical issues at all, no behavioral issues at all. It is totally safe. And you can use it for years. You can use it for decades. It is well, totally safe. You said like five months. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so long to be giving that. That's yeah, yeah. that's really good information to share. So once <clears throat> you get um, to a point of finally, you know, weaning off of this, can we talk about like probiotics and things like that? Like, should, do you recommend kids being on probiotics and, and actually, well? yeah, there actually isn't much data that probiotics are helpful. And there's no data that I'm aware of that probiotics do anything for constipation. Really? So they deal with probiotics. What probiotics are, are quote unquote, healthy bacteria that apparently our gut needs. Now our gut really should be making whatever bacteria it needs to have. And obviously lots of foods help that too. So fermented foods and things like yogurt, there is very little data that probiotics are healthy for people or necessary in any way, adding additional probiotics, I mean. Um, and in fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a position statement about six months ago telling physicians, stop recommending probiotics to families. The evidence show they don't do anything. So it's very big business. Whoa. There's a lot of marketing push. It's a bajillion oh God, dollar business. My yeah. bridge. I've got like five different types of, pro I'm such a cliche. I'm like the Pilates instructor cliche of like yeah. kale juice. And there really isn't any evidence. So like, you know, a healthy diet for sure. And there's good evidence around <laughs> fermented foods and yogurt, healthy, real food, right? Yeah. But sauerkraut, kimchi. Totally. The idea of ingesting a bacteria and expecting it to get to the intestine, bypass the stomach, which is full of stomach acid and do its work lower in the intestine many hours later and still be alive, the likelihood of that is low anyway. But again, I mean, it's also not like an FDA regulated thing. So mm. you could be buying $80, $100, $150 probiotics, and it might be doing absolutely nothing, but it's very, very good marketing. Nick, I'm like raising my hands. I'm like yeah. doing, the, the, doing the guilty as charged dance. Yeah. It's oh common. It's common. It's big, big business. It's literally billions of dollars a year, every, every year. So I've never purchased probiotics for my kids. I don't take probiotics what? and I've reviewed the literature very, very thoroughly. It doesn't do anything. Hey, prebiotics. That would be sauerkraut and like fermented foods, right? The yeah, stuff that I'm a, feeds I'm the I'm a bacteria. fan of real food. Eat real nutritious food. Things that are fermented are great for us, but you know, some people tolerate it. Some people don't. My kids probably wouldn't eat kimchi, but you know, we try. <laughs> actually, I wouldn't say that actually. Two of my kids really like coleslaw. They might, but yeah, real <laughs> healthy foods, actual variety of foods, the color of the rainbow, you know, measuring it's this much of green and this much of yellow and this much of red and this stuff makes, it's crazy making, right? So just eating a variety of things and, and mixing in, you know, healthy grains and stuff as well. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, I should mention too, 
a lot of families think it's just diet related, right? And so I said, you know, increasing the fiber is, is not the most helpful thing. However, if your child is the kind of child that has a very white diet, right? They eat tons of rice or bread or cereals or um, bananas, potatoes, et cetera. That will be more binding. We need a normal amount of fiber in our diet to keep things regular. And so some children that are particularly picky or children with developmental challenges that have more issues around eating certain things or textures of food or fear around foods, those kids are much more likely to get constipated. And also the kids that benefit the most from PEG because those are the kids that sometimes have the most difficult time with constipation. They may not be as verbal with us. You know, they may not be able to express themselves as well. So we want to be really diligent about making sure objectively that you're seeing those healthy poos every day. For sure. Okay. Now, Nikki, do you want to go into some of the... <laughs> I pulled them up. I've got like the, all... These are all questions. All questions for you. Let's do it. Like, let, no, we're not going to I feel like I have to come back a few more times. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is the, the season on poop. We could do a season of poop, yes, honest to God. Um, okay. Um, okay. I think it's interesting to, to talk a little bit about like, you know, first of all, rapid fire, I think that probably better. Can you take the PEG product in pregnancy safe? Yes. Like it is totally safe. Okay. And it is okay. the best stool softener for after pregnancy as well. So it is really, really common post-pregnancy to get backed up. Some people had maybe morphine or other medications. Again, Mm -hmm. we're pushing down. We have a lot of pressure on our pelvic floor. A lot of postpartum people get constipated. PEG Mm -hmm. is totally safe and it's a much better way to go than Senecot and other medicines that for some reason physicians prescribe in hospital. They really shouldn't. We should all be using PEG. What about glycerin suppositories for both kids and adults? Well, it's completely useless in adults. I would say glycerin is useless in anyone above two. They're they're too little and they're not particularly strong. So glycerin is helpful in a very small child, let's say a six-month-old, a nine-month-old, to get them pooing once. We want to do it once. That is a stimulant. Glycerin is a stimulant. So it works in two ways. One, any stimulation to the rectum will help someone poo. So you don't have to use a glycerin suppository. You can use you know, a clean finger or gloved finger into the rectum with some Vaseline, or some people do a thermometer, a clean thermometer into the rectum. That can help stimulate pooing. It's not related to the medicine at all. It's related to the stimulation. Just touching the rectum helps kind of push things through. Um, but but uh, glycerin itself is a stimulant, so it can help kind of push things out. But it's addictive. Your body will get addicted to anything inserted into the rectum. So using enemas or using suppositories Some people find they have to use more of them and more frequent use of them. We don't want the body getting addicted to tolerance to anything we use, which is why PEG is where we're at. Other medicines, as I mentioned, all pretty much every other laxative or suppository in the market does cause tolerance. So then people get into a a state where they're having to use these medicines every single day. Unlike with PEG, which just brings water into into the poo, they cause peristalsis. The way our intestine works is it squishes along, like think of like an inchworm. All these medicines basically cause increased peristalsis, so squishier, you know, more vigorous kind of squishing, which can cause cramping and gassiness and discomfort. We don't want to increase that. That's not really helpful. It's not, it's not helping the situation. It's not making the intestine work better. It's just pushing things along faster. So yes, to use a, uh, you know, a, an enema or a suppository once, that's cool. The kid is really, really, really backed up. We often do that if they haven't pooed in four or five or more days. I've seen four weeks. That's the longest I've seen four and a half weeks. A child did not stool at all for four and a half weeks. Those kids need an enema. We need to get rid of that really hard stuff at the lower rectum, as well as working from above. So we say working from above and working from below. They get an enema and they often get a high dose, clean out amount of peg as well. Okay. Um, 
Okay. What about magnesium? So magnesium also causes peristalsis. It causes that pushing along and it can be helpful, but for a brief time, it also very commonly causes a lot of gassiness and cramping. A lot of people take magnesium, let's say for sleep issues or restless leg syndrome, and very uniformly people get GI symptoms, meaning gassiness and cramping. So I wouldn't do it long-term. Again, you develop tolerance to that as well. We're talking about milk of magnesia right now, or yes. we're talking about yeah. like, that's what you're talking not just the magnesium like supplement. You're talking Both, milk actually, of magnesium. Yeah. Even taking a supplement of magnesium, if you're taking more than a regular dose, a lot of people will experience gassiness and, and belly pain from that. Even what's okay. that? I, use, I have that stuff that you put in like at night, like calm or whatever it's called. Have yeah. You, it probably is magnesium. It is magnesium. Yeah. It, yes. Yeah. So that's not probably the best thing. Well, I wouldn't be using it for constipation. No, no, no. I just like yes. it. <laughs> yeah, but some people do. They use milk of magnesium. Yeah. So I take it like okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we weren't planning on talking about hemorrhoids, but we're going to do because everyone's just like, you're talking to a doctor. I just had a kid. I actually just visited my cousin who had a baby who was pushing and then ended up, anyways, long story short, she's got hemorrhoids. What, what do we do with hemorrhoids? Let's go there. I, I think most women or most postpartum people get hemorrhoids, right? Again, it's that pressure on the pelvic floor. It's a combination of having many months of pressure from the baby sitting on everything, pushing everything down. And as well as pushing, of course, even people that have C-sections though, develop hemorrhoids from that, from that, um, from that pushing. And what that is, is just a little out pouching from the rectum. Anytime there's a lot of pressure or, uh, positionally things pushing down on the rectum, we can have uh, we talked about prolapses, you can have um, hemorrhoids, you can have bleeding, anal fissures is the same kind of concept, which is little blood vessels that are really um, friable, very gentle there that can bleed. And so the management for that is avoiding too much pressure. So now the baby's out, you're going to have less pressure there. Avoiding straining. So again, we want to make sure that postpartum or poos are staying really soft and easy to push out and avoiding sitting for long periods of time, particularly on the toilet. There's like this whole world of people, probably many people that are listening, maybe you guys too, sometimes me as well. We sit on the toilet with our phones, we're on social media, <laughs> we're reading a book, we're watching a screen. That's me time. All, that's yeah, me time. Yeah, it's me time. I know people ought to say that, but it's not good for your rectum. It's not a good position. You're just pushing pressure on like the worst part of your body. Oh, do you recommend like the poop stools? Squatty potties. So it, yeah, it's like squatty potties and things. Yes. Like, yes. So sitting on a toilet, I don't know who created the toilet. Probably people know this. Probably some trivia question. People know on Jeopardy or whatever. Yeah. I Do mean, you know? I mean, it, well, I was listening to another <laughs> podcast. It was a Jen Gunter podcast on poop. And she was talking about, it was like a history thing. And in Victorian times, people used to sit together to poop. Like it was a communal oh, thing. Well, yeah. Lovely. It was like, yeah. And then it, in the Victorian, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was like, there used to be more squatting. And then that was, I think something about it was uncivilized because they used mm. to have like the chamber pots and stuff. You'd have to squat yeah. and stuff for that. But well, now- it was smarter then it was back like, then. We are no longer yeah. smart. So when you we're sit on a to toilet, squat. we're supposed to squat. So when you're sitting on a toilet and your back is up straight and your legs are dangling, you actually are kinking your rectum. So it seems the opposite. You think, well, you're kind of upright. You must be straightening things out, but it's the opposite. When your legs are dangling, your back is up straight, you're kinking your rectum. It's the most difficult way to poo. So a lot of kids prefer going into a corner and squatting or they lie in bed and they bring their legs up to their, like their chest, their legs up to their chest and they poo more easily. That is actually a better position. So sitting on a potty or sitting on a toilet with our knees as close to our chest as possible actually makes the rectum unkinked and it makes you much more easily able to empty your bowels. 
like the Squatty Potty Unicorn commercial that everyone must immediately YouTube if they haven't seen mm-hmm. it. I think you showed me that, Nikki. Oh, yeah. I show everybody that will be at all interested. I mean, you want to talk about poop? Watch this commercial. <laughs> oh, yeah. It came up. I was talking about poop. I love that. Oh, yeah. Someone, yeah. I've got other questions. Like, I poop like a rabbit. Tons what of little turds. Has been yeah, so that's constipation. That's right. Yeah. You want to bulk up your poo. That's that's a good example of someone who needs more water, more fiber, and probably Restorlax. It shouldn't how be dry and hard like that. How do you feel about uh, colonics? Like I see more and more on Instagram and people doing colonics as a trend. What And I have done one years ago. I tried it. I've done one too. I did it too. And I mean, I got to say afterwards, like you do feel like a new woman because you're like clear, a clear house, <laughs> whatever. Clear. Your stomach goes flat too. I'm not going to lie. Like... Well, if you're backed up, yeah. I mean, if you have a bunch of weeks and months, literally, of poop in you, it's going to feel really good. I have to admit, so in November, I actually went, and when things were settled and whatever, I actually went to a spa with some friends, and I had a colonic every day for five days. And? <gasps> out of curiosity, and I did tons of research before because it kind of creeped me out. I'm like, is yeah. this a good, like, not that I'm worried about the bum thing or whatever, but I was like, is this good for me? Is it bad for me? Is there risks? There are actual risks, by the way. There are known cases of perforation where the two poked things in their intestines got ripped open. So it's not, it's not a joke. If you do do this, then make sure you have a trained practitioner that is experienced and trained, et cetera. But there's actually no evidence that I was able to find that they're useful in any sort of way other than making you feel subjectively like you're cleaned out. And further, so maybe I'll go back. What a colonic is, is someone inserts a tube into your rectum and flushes your intestine with usually saline but sometimes they add additional things like tea, like caffeine, like um, probiotics and other such things, cayenne pepper, all sorts of craziness. And a lot of this is, yeah, there's all sorts of fun things that they put in their coffee. Um, and a lot of this is as Eastern medicine and lots of you know cultures around the world do this as a normal practice. And it's supposed to be very helpful in terms of promoting good bacterial growth and cleaning you out and making you lose weight and all sorts of things. There's truly no evidence that it works. So I did it. I've done it myself. Um, I didn't get a lot out. Honestly, I was kind of uh, Bum, disappointed. Bummer. I would say, yeah. I was like, how come did it come out? And then I was like, oh, well, that's because I'm not constipated, right? <laughs> but for someone that is constipated, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much in there. And really, it was, it, was, it was a letdown. I was like, oh, I was expecting all this stuff. I didn't really feel different after it, to be honest. But Uh, That's the idea. They're kind of flushing things through. It won't change anything about the bowel itself. So if you're a chronically constipated person and you get cleaned out by a colonic, it's not going to change anything. You're going to get right back constipated again. Right, right. Okay. We didn't really talk about restore, like repairing hemorrhoids. So my, sorry, we're going to go back to hemorrhoids for a second because I'm looking through these questions on my phone right now and there's like dozens of hemorrhoid questions. So like my OB said, push it back up inside of you with your finger. Yeah, that won't change Lots. anything. So some hemorrhoids are inside your body and some are hemorrhoids are outside of your body. Some are painful, some are not painful. It's the same thing as a varicose vein. So just like your veins in your legs, a lot of people get this postpartum too. They might be more visible. You might see that, that you know, blue of the vein. It might get more bumpy and everything. So that's what a hemorrhoid is. It's a varicose vein in the rectum. And it will probably never go away, but the idea is to prevent it from getting bigger or getting more of them. And the way to do that is by not having pressure on the rectum, just as not standing for so many hours in the day or wearing compression stockings, put, pushing that pressure away from the legs will help you improve, improve the appearance of a varicose vein. It's the same idea with the rectum. So you cannot actually make hemorrhoids go away per se. 
Some people will get very, very, very painful. We call thrombosed hemorrhoids. And some surgeons will actually literally remove them or tie them off. That's really rare though. That's only if they're really crazy painful. For the typical woman that has postpartum hemorrhoids, by the way, lots and lots and lots of guys have them too, from chronic constipation or for sitting for long periods of time or from being overweight, again, it pushes pressure you know, on, on the um, pelvic floor. There isn't a way to remove them or get rid of them. The goal is to not have that pressure there. And oftentimes they kind of, they become, they shrink, they get less visible. But what does but anisole honestly, do? Like, like all so these anisole, meds. Yeah. So it helps constrict it. So it's less painful. And then there's other things like tux pads, for example, that are uh, witch hazel that will help soothe it, but it doesn't make them go away. It just makes them not hurt as much. But postpartum, unless you're having you know chronic constipation or you're overweight or having that pressure on the pelvic floor, they should stop being so bothersome. But truly most adults, women and men, postpartum or not, will have hemorrhoids. If you look at like a you know family doctor doing pap smears or doing anal exams or whatever, everyone has hemorrhoids at some point in their lives. Really? Hey, that's going to be our, that's going to be our quote for the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're going to want to- Says the pediatrician. Yeah, right. We're like, no, this is, I guess, because my audience is so much pre and postpartum women. Like they have kids, but they're also really interested in like what's going on in their own bodies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They will look better over time as long as there's not pressure there. So again, managing constipation, avoiding the sitting and scrolling on social media on the toilet, I highly mm-hmm. recommend. Truly, mm-hmm. if you can spend two minutes doing your business and get out of there, don't even take your phone in the washroom with you or a book or a magazine or whatever, you'll do wonders for your pelvic floor. It will make a very big difference to how it looks and how it feels. I'm, I'm speedy. I'm in and out. So I'm feel good. I'm, I'm, that's but good. I do with my that's phone. Good. I have to admit. I mean, sometimes yeah, I get lost no. and I'm like, what was I doing? Where had I go down this rabbit hole? I'm still in the toilet. Always. <laughs> <laughs> the TikTok videos. Yeah. Um, any other, is there like any, there's so many things here, but, but I mean, I think this, this idea that like the poop phobia, like there's obviously you're a pediatrician. So I feel like I really want to, um, you know, before we have to wrap up, like what would be your top tips for helping anyone listening to this whose children are suffering from constipation? Making sure they're drinking lots, making sure they're getting enough fiber, regular fiber in the diet. I would definitely consider doing a, a clean out with PEG and then a very, very slow wean. If a child is having pain when they poo, it makes a hundred percent sense that they're not going to want to poo. And that's going to make the situation worse. They're going to hold it longer. It's going to get drier. It's going to get harder. It's going to hurt them worse the next time. And the situation will just keep on happening. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We want to make sure that they know it is no longer scary to poo. And the only way to do that is making sure they poo soft and it's easy to push out and there's no pain. And then they will be more comfortable going again. But you have to get rid of the pain first. Otherwise, they're totally right. Why would I want to sit and do something that hurts me? Why would we want to do that? They're smart. So we need to make sure that they realize they don't have to be scared, they can be comfortable, and therefore they'll lose that fear factor and they'll be less likely to hold it. So hot tips. Yeah, such hot tips. I mean, you could actually start the podcast on the scoop on poop if you wanted to, because I feel like there's so much. talk about poop. 1,000%. There's an audience out there. There's a lot. That's for sure. Like I said, it's like a third or quarter of what I do every day, all day. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is so helpful, especially in like, taking some of the fear away from just getting started on something quickly, it sounds like is, is the most important thing to and do. And everyone thinks it's just them. Like parents ask me about it. Like, is this big secret, you know, like I never seen it before. I'm like, Oh, this was my last four calls also. Like, this is what I do often. So if you're experiencing constipation as, as an adult, if your children have had it or have it now, it is so, so common. 
Amazing. That's so helpful. And I want to mention that you have not only this book, but you've got another book, New Mom, You Got This. So I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that one. Yep. <laughs> Everyone needs a book with the title, You Got This, before, you know, mm-hmm. barking in motherhood uh, or well in it. And then The Scoop on Poop. Um, and then will you just let everyone know where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. So I have a website, drdina.ca, drdina.ca, and you can find links to the books there as well as being on Amazon US and Canada. And Kid Crew is my medical facility in Toronto where we see kids from zero to 18 for all the things they need. Amazing. Thanks so much. And I love your Instagram as well. It's super like so good. Yeah. So many little hot tips there as well. So check that out. We're so appreciative of you coming on and, um, chatting poop with us. This has been uh, very informative and enjoyable as well. Absolutely. We've covered a lot of bases. Thank you. Really. (laughs) Amazing. Thanks Thanks guys. Dr. Dina. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at we go there podcast and check out we go there podcast.com for more info.